Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Great to be with you. Uh, welcome to church. My name is Lucas Moore, the pastor on staff. Really excited to continue on in our series. Before we get into this, I just want to release all of our middle school students, Pastor Bren, heading downstairs. Make sure you enjoy that grade six, seven, and eight. If you're new here, maybe you've never done that, we've got a spot just for you to learn to grow. And so you're going to head over with him. He's just heading to the back right here. And uh, we want to make sure you get connected there. Uh, we are now in, actually, for that, I want to say hi to everyone online. How about we all wave? Just put up your hand and wave to the back. Maybe they'll see you. Hi, online church. We love you so much. Great to have you with us tuning in as well. I love the people who waved over here. They didn't see you, but thank you for participating. I appreciate it. Bless your heart and soul. We're in kind of like week five or technically like week nine, realistically, uh, in the gospel of Matthew. Since Christmas, we've kind of been tracking along this specific gospel. And we've just really been like diving deep into to who Jesus is. What he's doing, like his, his, from, from birth to his ministry, moving ahead. And so that's kind of been our heart. Our heart is to get deep into the scriptures right now. I hope you've been sensing that. We've been walk, we walk through Nehemiah, we walk through Philippians. Like we really want to find every bit of, of, of culture, nuance, and theology that we can grasp out of each book. Because realistically, if we don't stop and pause and look at the full context, we, we're just going to miss some of it. And there's so much good word here. And so we're going to be um, kind of jumping ahead to look back today. Because where we find ourselves right now is, is the Sermon on the Mount. But we wanted to kind of pause and we want to make that its own series in itself. Why? The Sermon on the Mount is this rich, beautiful, the greatest sermon, the greatest, like maybe some of the greatest words Jesus has ever spoken. And so Pastor Andy will kick that off next week. But we thought we would stop and pause and kind of like get like, we're just so excited, right? We got right into Jesus and I'm not apologizing for it, but we just, we got right into it that we didn't take a look at Matthew. We didn't stop and actually look at this, this writer because we were just all excited, right? Uh, recently, my kids got dropped off at Granny and Grandpa's. We had to go to Ikea. The, the Ikea trip for an incoming baby in a few weeks. And so we went, we went here, here, Granny, Grandpa, here's Georgia, Bo, have fun. They're, they're so excited. And I don't know about you, I just have to bless every Granny and Grandpa in the house. Bo woke up at 4.22 in the morning for Granny and Grandpa. Four, not five, not six, 4.22 a.m. There is something seriously wrong with that child. You need to pray for him. Like, that's not nice. Like, I feel like that's, that's like closer tonight than, you know what I mean? If there's any parents or grannies or grandpas in here who are dealing with that, bless you. Bless you so much. But he woke up. He was so excited. He's like, granny and grandpas. He's just, he was so excited to be there. He literally woke up and he screamed, it's Christmas. <laughs> and George is like, Bo, that was years ago. What are you talking about? I was like, three weeks ago, George. Anyways, they're just, they were so excited to be granny and grandpas. It felt like Christmas. And I think for us, we were so excited to get deep into the text. We didn't stop and think and, and, and take a moment to, to really look at who Matthew is, the writer of this gospel. And so I want to kind of jump, we'll be in Matthew 9 most of the day, but I kind of want to jump ahead. I want to take some time, look at the context of how this gospel was written so that Andy can really kick us off on the Sermon on the Mount next week. 
So what's so special about this gospel? Why Matthew's gospel? Why are we here? Why are we reading this one specifically? Uh, for, for full context, Matthew is writing to Jew, Jewish people. He's, he's, he's looking for Jewish readers. It's probably Hellenistic Jews who are Greek-speaking, Greek-cultured, Greek-ruled, really, for a little while. And he now they're under the Roman rule, but they're historic Jews. His gospel's written primarily in Greek. He uses more quotes and references and Old Testament scripture than any other gospel writer. Why? Why would he do this? In fact, he, he doesn't just, it's interesting, he often refers to Jewish customs or different things as part of their heritage, but he doesn't fully describe the context of it. Because he's, it's under his kind of thought process that whoever's reading this will have already known those things. And so that's why we have to dig deep and find the nuance. He splits his gospel into five major chunks, referencing back the Torah, the five first books of the Bible, he knows his Jewish readers understand the first five, Pentateuch, the, the Pentateuch five. He, understand, he understands that they'll understand that. And so he's taking his time to even reference the new Torah, if you will, the new covenant that Jesus has come. You see, everything he is doing as he writes, as he, as he pens certain things, the way he writes it, it's all with the context that his readers are Jewish and they're missing something. That they've been so focused, so ready so excited for the Messiah to come that now that the Messiah is here, and yet some of them are still not seeing it. They're still not receiving it. They're still not kind of understanding it. He's doing everything he can, imploring his readers to see that Jesus has come and he is the promise and the fulfillment. That's his main theme, that Jesus comes as, as the promise we've seen in Isaiah, as the promise we've seen in Zechariah and all these different scriptures, that he is the fulfillment of all these scriptures, that he's finally here, that God in the flesh has come to you and to me. And he's begging and he's imploring and he's trying everything he can to show Jews who, who, who would have a great understanding of Old Testament and Scripture, that Jesus is finally here in front of their face. He's asking them to see, to open their eyes, their heart, their mind, that, that has so clearly gripped his heart and his mind. And that's where I find so interesting. Like, we could talk book overview all morning long, and some of you might really love that. But realistically, what I want to get into, what I think speaks even deeper, what, what speaks to our hearts, what grips our hearts is what gripped his. Matthew's kind of transformative story actually takes place later in the scriptures. And so I want to read to you now Matthew's kind of stories in both Luke, in Mark, and in Matthew. I want to read to you three chunks of scripture. It's like five or six verses each. But I want to show you the differences from Luke's gospel, from Mark's gospel, and then finally in Matthew. So let's read it together. We're going to start in Luke chapter 5, verse 27. It's, it says this. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now flip to Mark, excuse me, chapter 2. This is verse 13 through 17. It says this, Once again, Jesus went outside beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, 
many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there, there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors again, they asked, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You've heard this story, maybe. Now let's go to Matthew's version. Matthew chapter 9. This will be the rest of the time. This is page 790 in the Blue Bible in front of you. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 12, on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I get it. You're like, okay, we get it. We've heard the story. You've read it a lot. And if you're not used to this or you're new to the Bible, I want you to understand this is the same story. This is the same story repeated in, in multiple Gospels. Luke and Mark record the story of Matthew's transformation, but with his original Hebrew name, Levi. They're trying to show who Levi was at that moment. They're trying to be as in-the-moment in contextual as possible. And I find it so interesting as we try and like really unpack who is Matthew, why did he write the way he writes? Why would he show his story with his new name, this name that's bestowed upon him, this name that speaks to his transformation? Why wouldn't he, who is a historian, who is showing us the Old Testament history, why would he use his name Matthew when that wasn't his name at the time? Levi, it's funny, means harmony. It means united. It means joined in harmony or sometimes joined in harmony. Matthew... This new name means gift from God. Gift from God. Again, Levi meaning harmony, unity. Matthew meaning gift from God. So when Matthew pens his story, he makes sure his readers understand from the start that he has had an encounter with Jesus and he will never be the same. This is the point, friends. Think on this, please. Hear me for a second. I found this just, I don't know, I just found this really like transformative for myself. Jesus' transformation is so strong, it's so real, that despite Matthew consistently showing Hebrew history, he's so confident in his new identity in Christ, he neglects to tell his own Hebrew history. He's, he's saying, hold on, I, like, I need you to know that I have had an encounter that has radically changed me so much that I will never be the same. That, that the old has gone, the new has come. That something has sparked inside of me. That the old self, I don't even need to refer to myself as that anymore because I am Matthew, a gift from God, the disciple. This is who I am now. Like something has sparked in him for someone who constantly is pulling from the Old Testament to show Jesus and Messiah. He doesn't do it here. In his story, something has changed. Something has moved in him. He's been transformed and he'll never be the same. He doesn't write an essay. He doesn't give us his resume, his background. He tells a simple story of his encounter with Jesus. And it moves him to write this gospel. It moves him to stop doing what he used to do to become a disciple of Jesus. And so I want to break down this story a little bit more. Again, verse 9. Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named, in, his, in Matthew's version, Matthew, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me. Jesus told him. So he got up and followed him. Kind of an interesting start. Like, 
He's a tax collector, and for those who don't know, tax collectors were not well-liked people, and many of you know this, but just in case for anyone who doesn't, tax collectors were, were Jews who worked for the Romans. So under Roman rule, a Jew would be walking into a city, and the city walls would be up, and there'd be a tax collector's booth. And in that moment, they'd have to come and pay a tax. But they didn't just pay the amount that the Romans dictated. Tax collectors would take a little bit off the top. So if it was 30 bucks to enter, well, let's, let's charge 50 bucks or, or 60 bucks. And, and so your friend, your, your fellow brother, your sister, your fellow Jew, who's working for the Romans, who has taken over your area, your land, who's already put taxes at 80, 90%, who, has, who owns all the land so you can't buy land to move forward. Under oppression, food is scarce. Now your brother is saying, hey, I need, I need 60. 30 for the Romans and 30 for me. And I can just picture him there, like sitting. He's got his little baskets, whatever that thing's called. I don't know. He's got his coins all perfectly lined up. And he's just sitting and accepting, sitting and collecting tax after tax after tax. Not well liked. Not someone who got invited to the dinner party or the barbecue or the football game or whatever. Not someone who was getting a call to hang out. And Jesus comes up to him and says, follow me. Not surrender. Hey, don't put down your sinful life and walk away from it. Just come. Notice there's no instruction. There's no pray this prayer or do this, and then you have the right to be in my presence. It's, hey, come with me. Actually, in fact, the Bible says that we're going to go to your house and have a dinner party. Follow me. I need you to understand that when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to following Jesus, it very much is a journey. That's why here at GT, we're always saying we want to help people take next steps on their spiritual journey. It's not a one and done. It's not just one thing that happens. Like even we saw baptisms happen last week, which was powerful and beautiful. 32 people in the tank, friends. And after that, what happens? They keep pressing on forward. They keep moving on their spiritual journey. There's another step for them to take. This is what the Christian journey is all about. We never get there until heaven, friends. Like, it's a beautiful journey towards Jesus, day in, day out, learning and growing every which way. He wants to take you on a journey. He wanted to take Matthew on a journey. And I think for Matthew, this would have been very like, like okay, I, I guess so. It says that he got up and he, he followed him. Verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him. When the Pharisees saw this, please hear this for a second. Why does your teacher, interesting words, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and the sinners? This term sinners is like the despicable, like the, 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 the person on the outside, like the prostitute, the whatever. So tax collectors and prostitutes. Why is your teacher sitting and eating with them? What does he think he's doing? Why does this rabbi, this teacher who has come, who's delivering the Sermon on the Mount, who's teaching these ways, what is he doing? They're having a dinner party. And I think for me, like I, I read that and I think I can't help but wonder if this is a part of the reason Matthew is trying so hard to get the Pharisees and the Jews to understand who Jesus is. He's like, listen, he's aware of his own sin as a tax collector. He walks away from the tax collector's booth. It's in that moment, maybe it takes time, who knows, but he goes away from his profession, leaves his station, goes and has a dinner party, and he sees Jesus loving in conversation and in relationship with the least of these. You see the transformation taking place in his heart. He's like, this, 
This is it. This is the Messiah. He's come, come to save, come to love, come to speak, come to, to bring life to where there is no life. He's come to bring hope where there is no hope. He's taking the least of these and he's bringing them on a journey that they never thought they would ever have. And I think he's trying so hard for them to get and he's just like, guys, come on in. And the other Pharisees come over and they're like, what's he doing? Why is he eating there? And he's like, he's, what, what's he doing? He's having a conversation with people who need him. He's showing grace. He's showing mercy. He's showing love. He's showing the beauty of our God. He's like, this is our Messiah. We've, we know this. He's come, right? Let's get excited. This is good news. And they go, yeah, yeah, that's fine. But with her? With, with that tax collector? And Matthew's like, can you just get past that for a second? Do you see what's happening here? You guys following what I'm saying? Like, He's trying so hard for these people to get past their religious eyes to see the beauty in the relationship that Jesus brings. I remember this one time, I was at, I was at the New Spay camp. Come on, somebody. And, and I remember being a counselor, and um, I was a counselor at Mids Camp. And we just had the most incredible night at chapel. Like, it was amazing. Actually, in the between services, when I told this story, Brendan, our youth pastor, came up to me. He's like, I remember that. And I, I, I just remember this moment of being so, like, just wow. Like, different students, everyone just impacted by, by Jesus. Just, like, God moving in their heart. Like, life change, crying at the altar. You guys know if you've ever been to camp, that booger cry. Those, <laughs> the Lord is so good. Like, you know, that moment is happening for young kids. And I remember I, we were getting ready, and it was a late night, so we headed back, and I go into the washroom to brush my teeth. And all those who have ever been to camp or counseled at camp know the greatest, most peaceful, relaxing moment you get at camp is from that bathroom to that cabin. That's it. That's all the rest you get right there. It's just, oh, thank you, Lord. And this is how fast you walk back to your cabin. Because you know you're not going to sleep. You're not going to get rest. You may walk into someone like, just like a kamikaze jumping off a bunk bed tackling. You have no idea what's, what you're in for. And so uh, I remember walking back just so slowly, taking in the, the summer air. It was, so, it was like end of the week, very tired. And I opened the door, assuming I'm going to get tackled or hit or something crazy is going to be happening. And all of these middle school boys are reading the Bible. And one of, the, one of them is sitting there reading the scripture. And everyone is listening. I was just filled with so much joy and awe. My 12-year-olds would rather be doing this than tackling me. God, I, this is why I know you're real, you know? And I was just so moved in this moment. And we we're having this, and I just lied down, and they continued to read, and they'd mess up on some names, and they'd laugh, and then they'd pass it, and someone else would read for a while. And then out of nowhere here, security, lights out. I'm like, yeah, no, I know, totally. Just give, just give us five more minutes, five more minutes. I said, it's lights out. You're the only cabin awake. Yeah, you got it. You got it, chief. Okay, you bet. Not a problem. Two more minutes. Just having a little Devo time. I don't have to want to tell you again. Listen, chop. Like I just instantly went in this full mode of like, I'm going to tackle someone right now. We're reading the word of God. I think it's okay. We're at a Christian camp. Relax. Like, I just instantly became 
sinful Lucas and was like, I will pummel you. Like, these are 12-year-olds. They're reading about Jesus. What's the problem here, you know? This is how I got. And excuse me for my overexpressiveness right now, but I was like kind of mad, a little bit angry. Listen, I don't want to have to get the director. Your lights need to go out. I know the director personally. I'm telling you, they're going to be okay with this. In that moment, I started screaming at some young age security guard because they're just not seeing it. They have this duty task mentality that they're missing the goodness of God right in front of them. And I don't want to be like the Pharisee here. I don't want to get so tied up in my religious rigid movements that I'm forgetting that Jesus does transformative work in the craziest of areas, in the wildest of times. And I don't want to be banging on the door saying it's all done. I want to be the person that's like, yeah, you can read all night. Maybe put on some lamps. Can I join in? Can I be a part of this? Because something is happening in these 12-year-old guys, these 11-year-old guys, and I'm getting told this, and I can see it in Matthew's heart. He's like, guys, you're missing this. It's going right past you. The Messiah has come. Our Savior is here. And you're worried about the, like, you're worried about who he's sitting with? You're more worried about standing outside and pointing at the things you don't like than joining in on the party and the dinner that's close to Jesus. Why is he preaching today? I really wish, and I think Andy's here. Is it? Why would that guy be up there? Why that song? That song doesn't start as well as this song. Like, and we start poking at things. I wish the lights would be more blue than orange all the time because blue speaks to me about the ocean. I don't know. I really wish my small group would tackle this curriculum, not this curriculum. This isn't as deep and theological as I'd like it to be. We can either join in on the move of God and be a part of the change and the transformative work. Or we'll find ourselves standing outside pointing at all the things we think are wrong. And I think Matthew is so shaken up to his core that he doesn't even put himself as Levi. He just, he throws his name in there and he realizes that his identity is whatever Jesus calls him to. His identity has changed forever. We become so rigid. That's not, so, that's not how it's supposed to be. You should look like this. It should happen like that. But I think Matthew gets it right because you understand your identity is received, not achieved. Paul writes this. He says it again and again and again that this is a gift from God so that none of us can boast. He says that in Ephesians 2. That's the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus. It's nothing you can achieve. It's nothing that you could do on your own strength. It's nothing that you have. And I think there's part of us that feels like we just need to, it's, if I just do this enough, if I just tick off, you know, I went to church three out of four weeks and I made sure to say hi to Pastor Lisa so she knew I was here and that's good. And then I, I read my Bible enough times and I prayed before dinner with my family. Good, nailed it, I've done it. And you say, no, no, no. And listen, here's the thing. None of those are bad things. Theology, digging for deep for theology, is not a bad thing. Orthodoxy, not a bad thing. These are good things. But when we elevate them to all that matters, when those become the things that make us righteous, that's when Jesus is saying, you're not getting it. You're missing it. Georgia recently was saying to me, she came up to me, she's like, Dad, do you love me? I'm like, of course I love you. And then we play that game that kids play. Like, I love you to the moon and back. And I love you to heaven and back. And I love you to this place and back, whatever it is. She's like, oh, do you love me because my hair is so blonde and long? I'm like, 
no, no, gee, I love you because you're my daughter. Oh, do you love me because I scored four goals at soccer the other day? I was like, yes, that is a big reet. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, no, I just, George, I love you. Do you love me because? And she continued to fill in the blank. I'm like, gee, there is nothing that you do that wins my love. You're my daughter. I love you, period, right? And that's what God is saying. And I'm just trying to tell you that if you want to identify with Jesus and be a part of the family of God, to know that you're a son and daughter saved by grace and not by your work so that none of us can boast. But I'm afraid to say it because I wonder if there's people in here even right now who have been studying and learning and practicing this, the way of Jesus long without have been alive, but yet we get the rules ahead of the relationship. I want to just say this over you. You can't achieve God's affection. You can't win his approval. An identity in Christ is received by grace and it's not won by any accolade or achievement. I can't say that enough. Final couple verses here. <clears throat> On hearing this, Jesus said, this is the final chunk. I'm finishing up. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire Mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Again, see this from Matthew's perspective. That's the goal of today, to understand the author to the writer as we get deeper into the book. He is a tax collector, living kind of this like, every day I go, I collect money, I go home, like empty life. He's stealing money, truth, truthfully, from his friends, working for the Romans. Devout Jew, practice new scripture. And I read this and I think, he was devout, but yet he felt disgraced. Is he, is he the sick or, or the healthy? Is he whole or hungry for something more? Righteous or the sinner? When Jesus writes those words, I think it's easy to gloss over them. Or when Matthew writes those words and Jesus says, them, for I, have, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I've come to call, not, excuse me, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I think the sick don't always realize that they're sick, right? Especially right now, we're always trying to deny it. It's just a cold, it's allergies, don't talk about it, I'm fine, it's all good. Trust me, trust me, okay? I took a Claritin this morning, I'll be good, it's okay. I, I, I hate to pick on him more, but I just think of my son who just refuses to accept when he's sick. Like, Bo, you're, you're coughing. No, I'm not, <clears throat> he like hacks up a thing. Oh, I, I think you need some, I think you need a nap. No, I don't want a nap. I don't, my body's fine. I'm ready to play. My body's ready to play, Dad. He'll tell me that now. I'm like, no, your body is shutting down. You've been up since 422. And I'll say, Bo, it's time to lie down now. No, Dad, I don't want to lie down. You need sleep. But no, I'm fine. Just close your eyes, Bo. No, if I close my eyes, I can't see anything. It's like, that's the point. Go to sleep for the love of God. I need this more than you. Like, and we get like this. No, I'm fine. No, I'm good. And we just keep practicing faith, practicing the things we think that will win us a relationship with Jesus. And we stop the moments that are true encounters of sitting, waiting on the Lord. That term waiting on the Lord continues to come up in scripture. We're feeling down, wait on the Lord feeling heavy burdened, wait on the Lord. Not sure what to do? Wait and sit in the relationship with Jesus.
because he who waits, his strength will be renewed. I love this because Matthew gets an extra shot, right? He's been practicing, he's being a tax collector, he's been doing these things, but he gets an extra shot. He gets a second chance. Grace gives us all a second chance. And rather than sit and collect money, he sat at Jesus' feet and he collected wisdom. He collected truth as a disciple. He wrote words of life, words of joy, words of hope, not receipts or payments for death, for, for destruction, for money. He and a masterpiece that still brings transformative life even today. And some of us need the same wake-up call that he had. We're just sitting every day, same thing, collecting whatever it is, thinking that we're growing, thinking that we're gleaning, assuming that this is the way to eternity or whatever it is, thinking that we're winning some sort of approval. Well, if I just do this enough, well, if I just take care of that enough, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 there's more than that. Come in, stop pointing your finger and join the party. There's this great quote by Dallas Willard. It's in this book where he breaks down Psalm 23. He says, we spend our whole earthly existence trying to save, trying to enhance and enrich our lives. And what happens? We lose the most important thing in our life, an intimate relationship with God and others. You cannot, please hear this, you cannot drift into a life of companionship with Jesus. You don't drift into it. It's not like it just happens. He's saying, hold on, a decision is an inward resolve. You have to make a decision to have Jesus with you. A decision is an inward resolve to do whatever it takes, whatever is necessary to bring something to pass. Jesus said, follow me, but it was Matthew who stood up. It was Matthew who got up, left the tax collector's booth and walked and followed. Maybe it was hard for him. Maybe he's an introvert and he doesn't want to you know, look like this or that. He doesn't want anyone to see him. He still got up. Did he have it all figured out in that moment? No, but he started the journey. He got close to Jesus. He found proximity with his savior. He didn't just tick off the to-do list of the religious piety. He went after Jesus who was right in front of him. Final thought for you as we close. Don't live an empty life of religious virtue because you'll still be empty. Live a life with enriching spirit-led value. It can look like this book is a big to-do list, but that's not, that's not what happens. It's not how it starts. It's not, what, it's not what God's calling you to. And I want us not to run on empty anymore. I want us to strive after following Jesus, coming close with him, hearing his voice softly spoken over you. doesn't matter who you are in here. Gender, race, your economic background. Jesus is saying, follow me. Stop trying to do it on your own. Stop pointing at everything you see wrong. It would be good for every church, a healthy church, for the religious kind of spirit in us to break away for the envy, for the ego, that we have it all figured out to break off, amen? And for us to be led by humility, for us, to, for us to be led by hope, for us to be led into a conversation with Jesus every morning and says, God, I don't have what it takes, but I know who does and I rest in you, I wait on you and I depend on you in Jesus' name. That's spirit-led value. Would you stand to your feet? I wanna pray over you. I just wanna pray over you in this room and the team's coming as we close this morning.
all across this room, if you would, closing your eyes, praying together as a church community right now. If you just feel like you have been running on empty or you have now been made aware enough, you can take enough self-awareness in this moment to say, yeah, I've been, I've been kind of sitting on the sidelines pointing at everything I think is wrong, poking my finger at all the things we're not doing or I'm not doing or this person isn't doing or my family member isn't doing. I've been sitting on the sidelines of my marriage constantly thinking how my partner needs to change their life. I've been sitting on the side as a son or a daughter, as a friend, thinking that everyone else has to get it figured out. I've been praying and fasting and God hasn't answered, so I've done my part. Maybe for you, you've just been doing the same thing over and over, feeling empty, feeling tired, feeling burdened. God wants to fill you right now in Jesus' name. He wants to bring a love and a grace you never knew possible. Maybe you've been like Matthew, tax collector, sitting on the side. Just repent, come to the Lord, say, Jesus, I need more of you. Whatever that means, I need you and less of myself. So for you, you know your heart. I'm asking you to do a deep work right now. I'm asking you to consider, like Dallas Willard said, I'm asking us to make a decision this morning. If you just need a filling of the Spirit, if you need love, or as one preacher calls it, the waterfall of grace to wash over you this morning. Let it be that. Let it be so. Would you open your heart? Would you posture yourself to receive? Maybe you need to open, like, you need to change your posture right now. You need to open your hands. You need to raise your hands. You need to put a, a hand over your heart. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, right now I ask that you would move in marriages, in lives, in minds and hearts right now. God, I pray for a transformative experience like Matthew had. God, I pray that we would not be on the side thinking that you've just come and gone, but you are here, you are here now, you are bringing hope, your love is still speaking, your, your blood's still reaching, that you are reaching out, you're saying, follow me, your hand is open, I pray that we would reach out and grab it. Jesus, I pray that you would wake us up this morning. Awaken the hearts that feel heavy burdened. Awaken that person who feels like they're just struggling in the same sin again and again. Break chains right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, you go and bring comfort. You go and bring peace. For the marriages that need to come together, I pray for grace over their marriage, for love to be encountered by you, God, that it would bring them together in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for peace to move right now. I pray that we would be different than the way we came in. I pray that God, you would see us for everything we're doing and say, I still love you. I have an identity for you. Just reach out. I pray that we as a church would reach out to your love and grace, that we would know you're waking us up. You're awakening our soul. You're moving, you're moving us from one direction to the next. Would we come to you, Jesus, with everything we have? Would we not stand on the sidelines anymore? Let's jump in, church. Let's fight the bitterness. Let's fight the rigidness. Let's believe that God wants to move in a spirit-led religion, not a, not a work-based religion. God, let's we want to believe right now, God, that you're moving, that you're transforming, and you're healing. And so, Jesus, we love you. We worship you. It's in your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.